welcome to Sunday, uh, <laughs> Sunday, <laughs> to Wednesday night Bible study at Celebration Church. Welcome everybody here, as well as those online all over the world who watch and listen to these studies, as well as our other campuses, life groups and stuff around our campuses. I'm going to invite those of you in this room to stand with us. We'll open in a word of prayer, and then we will begin. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Help us to understand the teachings of your word so that we can put these into practice so we can live more successful lives that will be of greater glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You guys may be seated. I can pass those around. And uh, we are in a 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, uh, a chapter that tends to give me headaches. And, uh, and I mean that literally. <laughs> I'll be reading this, man. I'm pretty sure I'm reaching for Advil. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? So, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I have read, of course, the entire Bible and uh, sections of it multiple times and have taught from specific, you know, you just need to teach from here and over here we teach from this. And that. Uh, this is really the first time in low at these many years that I've actually tried to go through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And when you're doing this, you really get into the weeds of, of looking at these things, uh, stuff that you've known, and then stuff that you're discovering, really, because you're really looking at it in the weeds. One of the best ways, I promise you, to learn anything is to have to teach it. <laughs> Anybody who's ever taught knows what I'm talking about, because now you've got to really know what you're talking about, and you really get it. So as I'm into this, and... Uh, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians, the context, for those of you following, so I'll repeat this, but people join us at different times, but uh, the context is Paul's writing to this church in Corinth, the church that he establishes here. Okay, he comes around and he comes back, he visits them again. Uh, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. When he's in Ephesus, he's hanging out there for a while and he writes these two letters back to the Corinthians because they got questions and they're confused and he's also writing about issues that are irritating him. And one of the main ones he starts out with is, you know, you guys, you know, you're all, you know, what, what is this fighting about? You know, well, I listen to Paul and I listen to Apollos and I listen to Peter. So, oh, I just listen to Jesus, you know, so, so that we all, you know, to talk about and, you know, we, we understand the idea of uh, conflict and, and all that kind of stuff. The closer I get to Corinthians and the more I get, look into this, I can see why they were arguing. <laughs> because listening to Paul, I would be one of the guys that goes, you know, I'm following Apollos, you know, because uh, the way, because he argues some, again, I tell you, I get to heaven, I see Paul coming, I'm cutting down in an alley or something, you know, because I, you know, clearly he's a brilliant man, has the major impact on the church for the last 2,000 years. His writings are stunning. The brilliance of his theology, the explaining of grace and the, the law and Christian living and Christian morality and stuff. But then every once in a while he gets into these things. I, I honestly, I don't know what he's talking about. And, uh, and some of them he gets real intense. We're going to get there. I'll cheat a little bit. I'll give you some of this. Just to get a context here. First of all, he talks about this marriage stuff, which gives me a headache, the way he talks. Then he, he gets into all kinds of arguments. He gets into this whole argument about how long people's hair should be. Who cares? 
What does this have to do with the price of tea in China? And I'm not the only one. I tear into this stuff and I'm looking in all these theologians and most of them have no idea what he's talking about. But he's really intense about it. And you'll see how intense he gets, you know, like a fresno and I think, really, I'm just trying to get people to quit fornicating. I don't care how long their hair is, who cares? Again, here comes Paul, run, all right? So I don't, I can see why at some point they start dissing him. Because he has some of these rules, some of these rules that we're gonna get into a couple of here, they're just like, what? This, this is, we're gonna run into this one. This is a real popular one in modern Western culture, when Paul writes, writes I don't allow a woman, to, a woman to speak in church. Whoa. <laughs> now, believe it or not, that one's easy to explain. I promise you. Wait till we get to there. It, because we don't really allow anybody to speak in church today. <laughs> I'll give you a little sneak preview into it. See, those guys in that day, it was very common when a speaker would speak, and these guys would have church all day long, that People could holler out questions and what about this? And hey, how about that? And they'd have to answer. Uh, and, uh, you know, like if you've ever watched like U- U.S. politics, you know, whoever's up there, he talks and people can't interrupt him and stuff. You ever watched British politics? And they're all yelling and interrupting. Hey, the president's It's like a zoo over there. I don't know how they keep anything straight. Well, it was kind of more like how the church did things. And... Paul thought, because of the, whatever reasons, we're going to get into it, whatever reason, he thought, you know, the women shouldn't be hollering out in this. It, sound, it feels disrespectful to the men, as far as he was concerned. He thought it was inappropriate. He's telling them to zip it, Skippy. But he's also the guy who said when a woman prays and preaches and teaches, which is what means to prophesy, she should have her hair covered, which is the hair argument again. So clearly, women were allowed to teach. And some people say, well, the Bible says women can't teach. It's not true, because Paul said, make sure when you do it, you got long hair. Why? I have no idea. So he gets in this whole thing about, you know, why the women should be cut. And, and we don't wrestle with that today because today nobody has to talk in church. The church settled this hundreds of years ago, probably 1,500 years ago. When we have church, when a preacher talks, you got to suck it up. You don't get to raise your hand and ask any questions. Male or female or chicken or frog, it doesn't really matter. You got questions later, you can come talk to me later. So, and every church is like that. So this whole argument is not even an issue today. But anyway, at some point, he says, because the law says women shouldn't speak in church. The law? Is this not the same man who just wrote the most brilliant argument in Christian history in the book of Galatians why we are free from the law? And we now walk in the liberty that's in Christ. Don't let anybody stick the law on you. He, went, he said to these guys, I want you to get circumcised. Said, I wish they just cut their wieners off altogether. Do you remember this? Hard to forget that conversation. And then he says, well, because the, the law. And here's the crazy thing about it. Not one single theologian that I have found anywhere knows what he's talking about. Because there is no word in the law about whether or not women should talk. Nobody, all these, well, he's got to be talking about Genesis, the fourth chapter, when God, he didn't say Genesis, the Genesis fourth isn't the law, the law of Moses was, the, what, a thousand, 1,500 years, whatever, is later from all that, I don't know, I forget what the number, it's probably even higher than that. The law, there's no law anywhere. I don't know what he's talking about. 
And there's other things. We'll get to it. I'm just telling you, my head hurts from looking at this stuff for days and days. I just go. I can see why people said, you know, I'm following Apollos. Because this guy, this, I think some of the rules that he laid down, they didn't like. So he makes a strong argument. At the end of the day, this thinking has governed the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. Except in recent history, more and more people are breaking away from some of those things. Some of you guys, do you remember? Some of you geezers, anywhere near my age. 305 years, anywhere. Do you remember you used to go to church and all women had veils on their heads? Any of you remember that? Yeah, look at all the older hands. <laughs> you just gave it away, baby, you're geezers. All right? All churches were like that because of what Paul taught. Anybody ever see that in the last 30, 40 years? Nobody sees that anymore. So there's some of these things that even the modern churches, they just at some point after 2,000 years were going, we don't know what you're talking about. And we don't, so we'll get there. I'm not trying to diss the Bible. I'm not. I'm just saying I don't know. And if you'll study it intensely and go on, and nowadays, you know, it used to be you used to have, to have a library of big honking books everywhere. And I remember spending hours pulling out these books and everything. Now, you just got Google. Praise God. It's so much faster. It's like, and you these things, blah, blah, And they all admit they don't know what he's talking about. So I don't know. I'm just saying there's context to why these guys weren't listening to Paul and, so, and why, and he starts arguing, hey, what am I, Swiss cheese? I, I'm the one who brought you to Jesus. I'm the, remember, we were reading all that? This is because he kind of feels disrespected by them. But you can see when you start really getting into it why they would start feeling this way because he's kind of confusing on some of these issues. Having said all that. All right, so last week we got into chapter seven we started talking about marriage. We initially started out talking about the main reason for marriage is for sexual fulfillment, Period. The church has over-spiritualized this nonsense forever, especially in the last 50 years. You go to any wedding or ask anybody, what's the main reason to get married? Oh, or have a prayer partner for, you know, for this reason or having a spiritual union. or this. Oh, The Bible doesn't say any. It hints at parts that the main reason is for sex. I love going to singles groups because I'll get them first and say, what's the main reason to get married? And you should hear all the answers. Nobody will touch it. Until finally I keep begging, finally more sex. Oh, like, bingo! That's amazing. So I, we had a fabulous time. Was it last week, whenever it was? When I finished talking about this, there was an eruption of pleads from everyone who heard me here at the other campuses online, stronger than anything I think I've ever had, I'm sure, where they all pled, please talk about this on Sunday morning. So I'm going to talk about it on Sunday morning. So, I doubt that we'll get into the weeds and the theology of it as intensely as I am with you, because we have the time here. It's hard in 25 minutes to, and it'll take several weeks. And the thing about a series is by the time the third week, everybody forgot what you talked about three weeks earlier, and it's just, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Okay? So, anyway, we started talking about, uh, about this whole reason for marriage, and then Paul was very strong. And saying, we read, you know, that the, the wife is supposed to perform her marital duty, do your duty, all right, to the husband and the husband to the wife. And then, of course, then I'm connecting the dots and saying, you know what that means and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, so um, all theologians say the same things about this. This, this, this is the one part of the Bible nobody argues over. <laughs> Everybody goes, yep, you ought to have sex, pretty clear, you know, so they don't have any problem with it. Um, but I, I ran into this theologian 200 years ago, because a lot of these 
theologians that we quote and stuff were 100 years, 150 years. And these, are, these are some really, these are men who spent their entire lives. This one theologian uh, that, that I found here, he's, he's actually, he was a Methodist theologian, spent 50 years, his name's Clark, with an E at the end, 50 years of his life to put together his study of the Bible. And he says, what's really fascinating as I was reading him, he really writes in pretty plain English, which is what we use today. A lot of times you read the older ones, even 100 years ago, it's hard to understand them because they're using all the these and thous and all that, it's so descriptive and stuff. This guy, unless it's been updated, sometimes they'll take an old writer and update it in more, more, more modern language, I don't know. They could have, but if this is the way he wrote, it's amazing how easy it is to read him today. But what I really enjoyed about reading about him and reading his thoughts is he was the only other guy that I ever heard that takes the time to connect the dots. What this means. They all tell you literally what this verse means, but then he starts implying, well, this, this, and the other, and he and he's, uh, did all this study. I mean, he speaks how many languages? Who knows, you know? And then uh, he spent, and he has studied virtually every writing from a Jewish standpoint ever done. It is brilliant. Which is great, because when he's talking about the New Testament, he ties into the Jewish traditions that a lot of the stuff came out of it. He kind of ties it all together. Really interesting. So anyway, I just, I just, this was a fact of backing up and covering what we talked about last week. I wanted to read, because I found this, and I'm going, yes! So anything that agrees with me, I love. All right. So that whole verse about a woman, you know, husband and wife, they're supposed to, you know, be busy. So he writes this, few persons are at a loss for the meaning of this text. And the context is sufficiently plain. Some have rendered the words, not unaptly, the matrimonial debt or the conjugal duty, which I got a hilarious text later. Someone said, you know, gee, I really want a duty. Your brains out doesn't sound nearly as cool. But anyway, that which the wife owes her husband and the husband to his wife and which they must take care to mutually render else alienation of affection will be the infallible consequence. And this, and this is actually easy to read, all right? And this in numberless instances has led to adulterous connections. It's exactly what I said last week and have said forever. That one of the main reasons people commit adultery is because they're married to someone who doesn't put out. Male or female. And I get complaints five to one that it's the man who won't do it. Holy stinking cow. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the only guy who's ever said this. Clearly, he's saying it here. I'm not that arrogant. I'm pretty arrogant. But I'm not that arrogant. When you think, I'm the only one, you're a moron. All right? I'm just saying, in all the years, 45 years of serving Jesus and listening to teachings in churches of various denominations, I have never one time ever heard a pastor say this. He goes on. He makes it even clearer. In such cases, the wife, talking about a wife who doesn't service her husband, has to blame herself for the infidelity of her husband and the husband for that of his wife. I've never heard anybody say this. I have said it for years. I always feel a little weird when I'm saying it. How nobody else says this? 200 years ago, at least they were thinking about this kind of stuff. And it's amazing to me how many times I will talk to a pastor who has fallen into adultery. And the bulk of them, in fact, only one time have I, well, twice. I just have a new guy. Who went out and had an affair and there was really no reason for it. It's just, just pure narcissism and it gets into their egos. And, you know, and, and, and seriously, you know, pastors have to keep a reality check. 
You know, people look at you and smile and they hug you. It's not because of you. It's because of who you are and what you represent to them. You see what I'm saying? You know? So some of these guys, they actually think they're getting all this attention from women because they're so cute. Now, clearly, I already assumed that anyway. But, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, never thought in those. It's not about me. I thought, you know who else knows this? Musicians, if they're smart. Musicians frequently will have, you know, back 100 years ago when that was my thing, girls frequently were very affectionate towards the musicians. Any musician knows it has nothing to do with them. It's just that you can play and you can sing and it's so exciting the way you perform. <laughs> all right? That's where you get all the groupies and nonsense. Any of these guys know if it wasn't for the fact they could play the guitar or the piano, there's not a chick on earth that pretty, pretty much pay attention to them anyway. Right? All of a sudden they can perform and all these chicks are hugging him. I'm really something. No, you're an idiot. All right? It's just they're fantasizing because of what you can do. Any, many pastors lose track of that. And they actually think it's about them. And they get all this attention. These pretty ladies come up. And, pretty, and then they get sucked down into a disaster. Their ministry falls over. It's never, ever, ever, ever worth it. Not saying, God forbid, that I wouldn't do that someday. I've told you many times it's my greatest fear. There are men who are way smarter, way more educated, way more disciplined, way more everything than I'll ever be in my life who've fallen into this. The Bible says when you think something won't happen to you, you're in big trouble. Because when you think you stand, that's when you're going to fall. All right? So I get it, and I don't condemn any of them. And all these years I've talked to pastors, my point here again, he'll be coming around the month. <laughs> my point after all that rambling is of every time I talk to a pastor, and I just talked to another one yesterday, went down this rat hole. I said, let me ask you a question. Of course, they feel terrible. They should feel terrible. I mean, what they did is bad. People put their trust in him. They violated the trust. We get it, okay? We get it. But we take the guy and we just nail him to the cross for what he did. But what people fail to do, ask what was the wife like? I had a pastor a couple of years ago, you know, and I call these guys. I feel there's no sense in hating them. Don't hate some pastor who does that. What well, was in a prayer? I know. Shut up. The Bible says someone falls in sin, you churches try and restore them gently, lest the same thing happens to you. It's crazy. You're all hiding. Well, that stupid pastor, he went and had sex with so and so. Good. And some of the worst ones are other pastors. I have seen them. It's like the, instead of trying to restore the guy, they line him up in front of a firing squad and they take turns shooting him. There's no sense in this. Yeah, well, he does this. Stop. And I'm not yelling at you because I don't think any of you would do that. I really don't because you've listened to me and you've known this stuff for years. Any Christians out there listening to me and the World Wide Web, for the love of God, stop it. But you talk to the, ask the whole story, find out what happened. I'm talking to this guy here, so, and I call him and I ask him how they're doing. I've offered jobs to some of these guys. I did this when I had my own business. Called a pastor who's fell on adultery. He lost everything. You have to understand, they lose everything. It's not like your job or you can just go get another job. Whatever you've spent the bulk of your life as a man doing, studying, preparing for, you have to spend all your life to it. And then if you have an affair, it's no big deal. You probably don't even lose your job unless you we're doing it to the boss's wife. You still have your job. A pastor, he loses everything. He goes from a fairly high-paying position of respect to being a greeter at Walmart. It's devastating. They lose everything. 
And I said, man, you know, okay, you want to come work for me? And of course, they're so different, they can't function. So uh, maybe one came for a while, worked for, I don't know. As I'm talking to this guy, and I said, and I'm terrible, I'm horrible. Either the regret they feel is overwhelming. Sometimes I said, this guy, let me ask you a question. You know, what was it like with you and your wife? Oh, I really love my wife. I didn't ask you that. What was it like physically, sexually, between you and your wife? How often? One pastor said, oh, I don't know, not, not very often. You know, maybe, maybe once or twice a year. Really? But everybody's running around her. Oh, you poor little soul and pointing fingers at the guy. I've seen this with women who go off the reservation, do something, and everybody points at that woman. You terrible, wicked lady, the letter A around her neck. And poor. I've talked to these people. And we just, they're just devastated by the Christian community. Here, rip them to pieces. And he asked the same question. Well, how often do your husband pay attention to you? He said, well, he never paid attention to me. What do you mean? He said, I, I don't know. I'd have to beg and cry for physical attention from them, maybe three times a year. Because nobody points fingers at those people. I have railed on this forever, and I've always felt like an idiot, but I just, at this point in my life, I don't care anymore, so I'm starting to do it louder. But this, but this, you know, seriously, at some point you're young, you think, I don't know what I'm talking about. You get old enough and who cares? All right. You think I'm bad. I'm going to be intolerable when I'm 80 still preaching to you people. Oh, Lord, please. You're coming to see my pastor. Are you sure? All right. So anyway. So this guy, he's actually ties those, that's the first theologian I've ever seen. First, I've never seen, I'm not saying the, no one else has ever said it. I'm just saying, I've never heard it. Never read it. And this guy says it. These people, whether it's the husband or the wife, he said they should blame themselves for the infidelity. What miserable work has been made in the peace of families? And this is 200 years ago. He says the numberless instances of adulterous connections. We think there's something unusual today, right? Everybody, oh, today is so bad. Oh, it's today. This is 200 years ago in a very strict culture. And he's writing as a Christian theologian, man, we can't even keep up with the number of people who fall down this rat hole. And I'm sure they want to just nail the person who does it. They're the worst ones. But he's pointing out, man, this stuff doesn't happen. The person on the other side of the ledger oftentimes are responsible for this outcome. What miserable work has been made in the peace of families by a wife or a husband pretending to be wiser than the apostle? Well, I got Christians like that. I don't know. I, you can teach them and they don't. We got people in this church. They come faithfully. all They don't listen to anything I say. I've had them. No, they don't. There's, you know. They like me, they like you more than like me. Which I think is good. I think your friendship should be so, your life should be so intertwined with people in this church that even if you can't stand me, you don't leave. Right? Just for your friend's sake. And you know, people leave the church, say, really, why are you doing this to your kids? You know, all your friends are, you know, they do it, God bless them, but. Wiser than the apostle. I talk to them and, oh, you're a friend. They don't listen to anything I say. They're too holy, too spiritual to keep the commandments of God. They're so spiritual, these people. Some of these men are oh, oh, so spiritual. Never pay attention to their wives. Some of these wives, they haven't had sex with their husband in some years. You're talking about, oh, they're so spiritual, these people. <laughs> Irritates me. Her person belongs to her husband. Her husband's person belongs to her. Neither of them has any authority to refuse what the other has matrimonial right to demand. The woman that would act so either is either so knave or a fool 
It would be trifling to attribute her conduct to any other cause than weakness or folly. Number one, she does not love her husband. Number two, or she loves someone else better than her husband. Or number three, she makes pretensions to a fancied sanctity unsupported by scripture or common sense. So spiritual, oh, they're so smart, they're so holy, oh, I, I love Jesus, and I just ignore their spouse. I never got around the mountain. Other pastor, I just talked to you yesterday. Same thing, same thing. Well, what about your first, oh, I just feel so bad because I really love, my, no, no, I know, I know, everybody loves everybody. I want to know, what is your sex life like? Well, I don't know, you know, you know, once every couple of months or so. And then they wonder, because he feels terrible. Well, okay, it doesn't justify, but it explains it. Paul's talking about it. The theologians are talking about it. There's a connecting of the dots here. Why am I yelling at you? <laughs> Why is he yelling? I don't know. I didn't do anything. I just, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at all the pastors out there. I got a big conference. I'm speaking to pastors this Summer, I'm so looking forward to it, and they'll probably never, ever ask me back. <laughs> I'm going in angry, man. He's an angry elf, you know, wow. <laughs> he needs a hug, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's just um, when you're mad at nobody who's even in front of you, that's when you know you have problems. <laughs> um... It is most evident that the separate, and then Paul says, look, the only time you should not be having sex, and I'm not talking that you have to sex every day, I'm just talking about when, when you go an extended period of time, the only reason for that is to give yourself to prayer. And in 45 years, and traveling all over the world, I've never met a couple who's done that. <laughs> oh, I know couples who don't do it, but they ain't praying. They just, number one, don't love their spouse. Number two, love someone else other than their spouse. Or number three, have a phony, hypocritical version of spirituality that goes against common sense. So he's talking about these evidence, these separations. He says, it is most evident that the separations permitted by the apostle, for he enjoins none, are the only reason on extraordinary occasions, because I've never heard anybody even doing it, that the persons may come together again lest Satan, taking advantage of their matrimonial absence, might tempt either party to illicit commerce. Fancy word for screwing somebody else. All right? (laughs) You're going to get the plain version here. There are multiple, uh, there are a multitude of rules prescribed in such cases by the rabbis. Remember, this guy has studied every writing on, on rabbis. And indeed, he writes, even by heathen writers, even heathens know this is what happens. It's not like a rocket science to figure this stuff out. What do you think's going to happen? When your spouse has to beg you for sex, you got to beg them. What do you guys think's going on? That's why it ticks me off. Can you tell? For this was a matter in which common sense should always judge. That's the problem. The problem with common sense, it isn't very common anymore. Right? Because I can say common sense, I sound like brilliant today. <laughs> Under the direction of experience, heathens 
as well as those favored with divine revelation could see what was proper in these cases. You don't have to be a devout Christian, a theologian to figure this stuff out. He writes, this leads to incontinence. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think, you know, this is a Pens commercial. What's he talking about here? Because <laughs> incontinence is what we call someone who can't control their whizzing. They're incontinent. Oh, it, looks, it happens. Don't raise your hands. <laughs> I said, what do you... What's, this leads to incontinence? You know, actually, I wish it did lead to that kind of incontinence. Probably it would cause people to not do it. People would be more concerned about their whizzing than anything else. So I'm thinking, what is this incontinence? So I go to Webster's Dictionary. Look it up. Webster's Dictionary. The number one definition of incontinence is someone who cannot control their sexual behavior. Wow. Not according to depends, all right? It's all, I didn't know this. I'm reading this giggling. I thought, what the heck are you talking about? So he says, it leads to this. It leads to people not being able to control themselves. It leads to adulterous affairs, which he says, he doesn't justify the person. He says the other person is at fault for causing it. That is what you almost never hear. I don't say anybody ever heard that. It's somebody else other than me. See, not a one of you. Some of you have been Christians for, forever. You never hear people talk about this. And we have all these problems. And we sit around, we kill the people who fall into sexual sin without finding out what happened. Now again, there are those, I know two of them, they had no problems, their wives were always there for them, there was no, it just was pure narcissism, they admit it, they confess it. And even then you shouldn't kill those guys. But people who sit there, and I know people, I'm telling you, <laughs> there are people in my church right now who are doing this to each other and I guarantee you what the person who doesn't want to do it is waiting for waiting for the other person to fall into sin they're just waiting because you know what happens as soon as he or she the latest case was a she falls and has an adulterous affair Everybody will come and hug the first person. Oh, we're so sorry for you that this happened. What a terrible guy. What an awful woman. Why would she do that? I know, it's just terrible. Everybody will look at them and condemn them and throw them out and line them up against the wall and shoot them. And I promise you, people on this earth may not know what's going on. I'll ask questions, I'll find out what's going on. But God knows what's going on. And these people think they're going to be guiltless someday. They're deluding themselves. They are waiting. They are waiting for the other person to fall. And as soon as they fall, then they can get the divorce that they seek so desperately. Because they have no biblical grounds for divorce. The only biblical grounds they're aware of are where Jesus said of a man or woman fornicates. So they intentionally starve the other person out, don't give them any sex, sometimes years at a time, until somebody comes along and starts paying attention and then they fall because they become incontinent. And oh, then they're the, they're the person. Everybody hugs them and kisses them. And oh, and now they can get the divorce and everybody understands he was such a bad person. And they take him to court and they massacre them. I, t I tell you, I have no patience for this anymore. And there's going to be a big butt kicking on judgment day for some of this behavior. 
And that's why I tell single people, for, and I'm going to be talking about it on Sunday morning. If you are not interested in having sex and want to have sex, don't get married. I don't know what some of these people are thinking. Now, Matt, I know one guy. This happened to him. He came into my office. He'd been married, I don't know, 15 years. This woman would never give him sex. And then he feels terrible because he eventually has an affair. Who's the wounded victim now? The girl. Who's the bad guy? Him. He's devastated. Of course, I, you know me, I ask questions. I don't take anything any of you tell me for face value. Because I learned most people are full of crap. <laughs> they are. Does God love them? Yes. Do I love them? Sometimes. Okay? But they're full of crap. Everybody's full of crap. They are. It's just this nature. That's why I almost never will listen to one person tell me their side of the story. Especially husbands and wives. I'll initially you tell me, oh, how horrible. Okay, let's, let's get everybody together. Oh, you should see how different it is when both of them are there. Revelations. Whoa! Everything they said was crap. See, the good thing about you guys can't vote me out is I just say whatever I want. All right, so anyway. What was I talking? I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. So I think I beat that to death. Just. <sighs> this, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. You need to pay attention to each other. The purpose for, and, and I said this last week, whenever it was I said it. You want to help your husband be a successful Christian man? I'm going to say this on Sunday. You want to help your husband be a successful Christian man? Oh yeah, pastor, should I pray for him? Does, does he need me to do this? Does he need me to find some good Christian books? No, he needs to get laid. That's what he needs. <laughs> That's what he needs. That's what the Bible teaches, and I don't care if it ticks anybody off. Amen. <laughs> Got a couple of men. Praise God. Uh, so our church has more men in it than most churches. Praise the Lord. That's what I need. Hallelujah. Why? So, he, so you can dampen that sexual desire that drives us all crazy. You women have no idea how much this drives us crazy. If you had any idea how much this drives us crazy, you would be more disgusted with us than you are right now. You have no idea. We try to be spiritual. Oh, praise the Lord. No, I never think of those things. No. Ooh, oh, praise the Lord. It's a reset. You, have, you just make love to your husband as a reset. And I say it's a reset because it's not a button that gets switched permanently. You quiet that craziness in him, and then he'll be coming around the mountain when he comes. And then you quiet it again. He'll be coming around the mountain when he And then you He'll be coming round the mountain. He'll be coming. And I'm pretty doggone sure it's more than once or five times a year. <laughs> On average, it's every three days. It is. Some less. Some of you more. <laughs> some of you need to control yourselves. I'll hand it to the, you know, this. <laughs> and again, I'm not talking, uh, right away, everybody goes into the, you're talking about men who want six months. Yeah, that's the stat. But it's not always. I'm telling you, complaints, five to one the other way. Complaints from women in this church. He won't touch me. And there's a reason for that. I'll talk about that on Sunday. All right, so let's continue our Bible study. Just, just, all I did is repeat everything I said last week. I have 
haven't said a new thing yet. Just in more entertaining ways. All right. So he answers all this question. He said, okay, that's why you ought to get married. Then he says now in verse 8, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say this, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, and nobody wants to say, I can't control myself. But when he's talking about just this, this sexual desire just driving you crazy, it's so I don't have that. Then stay single, literally. Well, I want companion. Get a dog. Get a couple of cats. You know, be the cat man. You know, 95 years old, 300 cats in your house. Why do I care? But if you have this, ah, then you should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now keep all this in mind because all this really sets up for where we're headed. All right, now, to the married, I give this command. Actually, not me, but the Lord. And he lays this down very heavily. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, which means they did. Everybody say they did. They did. Sometimes wives and husbands separate. They just, they can't get along. Now, you're in a bad situation because it leads to this incontinence we were talking about before. Man, if just separating for a while to pray is going to lead to problems, what happens when you're totally separated from each other? It's a big problem. She does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. You know what usually forces people to reconcile in marriage situations? The, ah, I need somebody. Do you know how many people, I mean, they don't get this. How many people, and if you've done this, don't raise your hand. How many people get divorced and then still get back together with their ex for sex? They call it ex-sex. Have you ever heard of this? Really? Oh, this is extremely common. Extremely common. Like, because they're going crazy. It's like, ah, 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 ah. So they go to the one person they know. Which I don't understand. If you can get along with someone enough, you can get naked with them. Why are you divorced? Because people are crazy. And then he says, okay, a husband shouldn't divorce his wife. That's the standard. The standard is you're not supposed to get divorced. That is the standard. But people fall short of the standard all the time. This, this is where we're headed because this is where it gets really complicated. What happens to people who fall short of the standard? The church has wrestled with this for 2,000 years. I would have thought they would have made this easier for us. If Paul's attempt is to make this easier, in my opinion, he fails miserably. Again, I'm hiding from him when I get up there. If I get up there, all right? So, but I just, it doesn't clear it. It's like he just, it gets done and it's like it's clear as mud. And really, I would just, you know, I know what the standard is, but you couldn't just give us a break. Jesus meets this woman at the well. Do you remember the story? She has how many husbands? Do you remember? I don't have Five. And she's living with the guy now. The guy she's doing now, she doesn't even bother to marry him. She hears the words of Jesus. She receives Christ. She runs off happy. I want to know, well, what happened? Did, did she marry the guy that she was with? Or as some Bible teachers have taught for thousand, last 2,000 years, she should never get married again? What, 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 tell us what happened. 
They could have spent one, one sentence. Because this is where we get in the right, this is where we fall in the weeds. One, just give us a sentence. Jack squat. The woman caught in the act of adultery. They want to stone her to death. Jesus said, whoever has no sin, throw the first rock. Everybody walks away. He looks at the lady and says, where are your accusers? She says, they're done here. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Great story. My question is, what happens next? You can't give us just a sentence. It wouldn't have taken but five words. And she got married. Or now she had to stay single for the rest of her life. It's like, it's not clear. Now, people argue that it's clear. I'm telling you, it's not. This stuff gives me a headache. And if Paul's trying to make it clear, oh, good Lord. Let's keep going. So to the rest, I say this, not the, I, not the Lord. So he's, he's, look, the Lord was very clear, you shouldn't get in divorce. So now, okay, now the rest of this is my advice. <sighs> Which is really rather odd. It, the only comfort here is that he's admitted this isn't God talking. Thank God. Okay, it's Paul talking. Now, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he shouldn't divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, he must not divorce him. She must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife. The unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but it as is their holy. Why? Because the faith of the husband or the wife. You're a Christian and your husband's not a Christian. You shouldn't divorce the guy. If he's willing to stay with you, stay with him. If you're, uh, if you're a, a devout uh, a Christian, but your wife is not a Christian, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, as long as she's willing to stay with you, stay with her, Okay? You know, by the way, speaking of sex, anybody remember C.M. Ward? Some of you geezers out there, anybody? Nobody, nobody, nobody? You really? I'm getting so old. Okay, so he's a, he was this great preacher. He just looked horrible, but he was a great preacher and very powerful. I mean, he could nail it. He's just really an odd-looking guy, very funny. But uh, he says, this one lady come up to me and said, <laughs> Pastor Ward, my husband won't let me come to church. He fights me every time I come to church. Oh, just get, what should I do? Should I pray for what? This is what Ward said. Listen, this is what you do. You come to church, and when you get home, you make love to the man. The next Sunday, you come to church, you go home, you make love to the man. If you come to the Wednesday night Bible study, as soon as you go home, you make love to the man. You just keep doing this and doing this. She's all freaked out. So I know she goes home and does this. A month and a half later, he says, how's it going? She says, my husband keeps waking me up. Hey, aren't you going to church? What's the deal here? Get up. <laughs> it's amazing how you can fix some problems. But then here's the big deal. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother and sister, the other one remaining, the Christian one, is not bound in such circumstance. God has called us to live in peace. What does that mean, not bound in certain circumstances? Well, if we look at the end of this chapter, he talks about how a man and woman are bound together until death. But if the guy dies, then they're no longer bound and they can remarry somebody else. So it's the same phraseology. The problem with this whole thing about divorce is really not the divorce question, it's the remarriage question. Can you marry again? And that's what people have argued forever about this thing. Because they say, well, if you married someone else, then you commit adultery, and, oh, what if I repent? Well, the problem is, you know, it's like if you're stealing, 
or you're killing somebody. Will God forgive you for shooting somebody? Yes. But then you can't, you can't just keep shooting them, right? So they're saying if you stay in that marriage and every time you're together, you're still committing adultery. It's, it is a mess of an argument. Now, several, again, the Bible doesn't talk about this stuff. The closest we can get is where Paul says if anybody is in Christ, all things have passed away and behold, all things become new. Jesus sets things right. And if we believe Jesus can set this right for an unbeliever, how can we believe he won't set this right for a believer? Well, pastor, you're saying it's okay? No, it's not okay, but it's like, I know people wrestle with this, this thing with grace and, and whether or not something's true. The reality is you shouldn't kill somebody, but if you kill somebody, God will forgive you. Well, then I can kill someone. No, you can't just keep killing people. You should, but you know, grace doesn't erase the rule and the rule doesn't erase grace. At times it gets confusing. That we believe God gives grace and he resets things in people's lives. And particularly in this case, he's saying that if you're with a spouse who basically, this is called the abandonment argument. It's the, there's really only two arguments in the, in the New Testament for divorce and remarriage. One is your spouse is sexually unfaithful to you. Kind of hard to make that argument before God when you caused it. But that's the argument. The other one is if you've been abandoned by the other person. Now, some people say, well, this only applies to unbelievers. Well, look, the reality is, if, if you've been abandoned, um, by the way, let me, let me read what this, this theologian says. He says, if such, sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know who's calling me while I'm at church. If such ostensibly depart and utterly refuse all cohabitation, a brother or sister a Christian man or woman is not under bondage to any particular laws so as to be prevented from remarrying. Uh, generally speaking, the church has come down on this on so many different versions and whatnot. But the reality is based on this abandonment. You have a spouse who abandons you, then you are free to divorce them and to remarry. Again, put 100 churches together and you're going to get 100 different versions of this. It seems fairly clear to me, although at times it gives me a headache, you know. Um, and then you get into the argument about what, what does abandonment mean? Well, it means he literally leaves. Well, what about the situation where a husband won't make love to his wife? Or wife won't make love to their or the other way around? What, what, but isn't that not abandonment? Aren't they refusing cohabitation at this point? No, we just recently had a situation of this in the church. And the church made the call. The person came, my husband has not touched me for God knows how many years. We confronted him once. We went twice. The Bible says three times, three strikes, you're out. Right? Jesus said you go to him one time. If they don't listen, you go to a couple others, go to him. If not, the whole church talks to him. If he rejects the teaching of the church, you treat him like a pagan, Jesus said. You treat them like an unbeliever. Now that guy will still tell you he's a believer. I'm telling you, this church treated him as an unbeliever, asked him to quit coming, and as far as we're concerned, his wife had all the justification to divorce his butt, and if she wants to remarry, she can. Now, there's other churches who totally disagree with it. Well, good. They deal with their stuff. I'm just telling you, that's the way we look at it. In my, and you won't hear this very often, and there's a lot of people, oh, the line would be so long, that would disagree with me about this. Again, I don't even preach about this stuff on the road. I just have to deal with it in my church. I'm responsible for what happens in our church. But as far as I'm concerned, you have a spouse who starves you out sexually. You have every right to divorce their butt and reset the sucker. 
because, and we will go give you one, two, three strikes. You know, if you repent, okay, you guys need to reconcile, you need to get back together, fine. But you can't play the spiritual, and I promise you, there might be people listening to me right now at our different campuses, you know people like this, they need to come talk to me. I'm just telling people if I know, and most of the things going on, I don't know. But you're in a situation like this and you think you're in miserably and you're in hell because your spouse won't have anything to do with you and you're crying and you don't know what to do. So you come see me. And we'll try and deal with this. At some point, I think this is absolute biblical grounds to kick them. They are fundamentally unfaithful. You're supposed to be faithful to each other. You know what faithful means? If you're faithful in church, you're here all the time. If you're faithful at work, you're here all the time. You know what they say to people who always show up on church, uh, 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 at, at work on time and do their jobs and never a problem? They say they are faithful. You are there. You quit showing up at work, you're not faithful anymore. You quit coming to church, you're not faithful anymore. You all of a sudden starve out your spouse, you are sexually unfaithful. Well, I didn't have sex with somebody else. It doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned. So you're making a stretch here. We're not making a stretch. He just said here. It's going to cause problems if you just go pray for too long. Again, a situation I've never seen. Well, if that's a problem, what do you think this other thing is a problem? Right? And again, this game of these people who starve out their spouse, waiting for them to commit adultery, and turn around and church, all kisses them and all. And these same cycles, these same cycles that do this. A few years later, marry again. They bring hell into somebody else's life. Goodness gracious, I just see an angry, angry elf. All right. And then he appeals. Look, what he's really trying to answer the question is, should I leave my un- unbelieving husband or wife? He says, no, don't. If they abandon you, again, the abandonment thing, it's on trickier ground. I know lots of people who would not agree with me on what I just said, and five years ago, I wouldn't have agreed with me what I just said. I'm just at this point, I don't know, how, how do we deal with this stuff? This makes no sense to me. Some people take this to all kinds of, if well, I'm emotionally abandoned, so I can get a divorce. So I, you know, I'm spiritually abandoned. I mean, at some point you can take this and just run with it and just create a disaster. We don't do that here. We don't play that game. But marriage is fundamentally a sexual contract. And you start violating the contract, that is always what Jesus fundamentally taught, is you violate the contract, that's out. What I've never heard anybody say, which I try and take in context, is what I just told you. Is that when someone's not having sex with their spouse, they're being sexual and faithful. I think they are. What else do you call it? So we're stretching it. Okay, the good news is hardly anybody does that that I've run into. I've had one situation in... 40 years. All right, groan, moan, complain. He says, how do you know, wife, whether or not you'll save your husband? How do you know your husband whether or not you'll save your wife? All right. Now, the next one. It gets worse. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid out in all the churches. Which, if that's the rule, I can see what some churches say. I don't like his rule. I like the other guy's rule better. He's implying at a minimum. He's strongly implying if you get saved single, you should stay single. If you get married, you should stay married. Well, that's a problem. Besides, what happened about the burning thing? You know, again, he's like, ah, ah, ah. It's hard to follow him. Then he says this.
Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. How do you do that? I'm pretty fresh, you know, the snip, and that's kind of it for you. You know, kind of like a permanent haircut. It's like a tattoo. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Now, I did read a theologian who said there were people who actually tried to do this. I've never heard of this in my life. <laughs> I'm just passing on to you. I don't know what he's talking about. Except for, I, I'll give you what I think is the most logical talk. But this guy talked, he says, there's actually there were practices, and he looked at historically, of where men who had been circumcised tried to get back to the original status by, by using things and pulling on the other skin until it stretches back out again to cover the whatchamacallit. I guess. I've seen guys stretch their earlobes so they're really long, you know. In Africa, they stretch out their lips. Like, you seen the people with the big lips? The plate people? Okay. Apparently, you can stretch stuff, and at some point, you know, it's all, everybody knows at some point everything stretches. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. I ain't saying nothing. So I guess, I, I, I guess you can do that. Who would do that to their wiener? I have no idea. I'm reading the Bible to you. <laughs> if you're already circumcised, don't become uncircumcised. Okay. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? Then he should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Thank you. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Then why are you talking about this? What are you talking? Each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. The context, he's talking about marriage and stuff. Which even that, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? It just, I don't understand. The good news, he says, this is my opinion. The Lord didn't say this. Because I read some theologian who says, it's still, it's God's word. And, okay. It means none of your children, if they come to know Jesus when they're a teenager, they can never get married. They shouldn't get married. Not that they can if they're burning, you know. I, get, I don't know, the whole thing. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Am I the only one having a problem with this? You know, we read this stuff fast and you don't really think about it. You just wait for something that makes sense to you, which is really the way you should read the Bible. I often say to you, I don't know what they're talking about when I talk. You know, there's people, even these theologians, they try to pretend they know what they're talking about. Read it. You can really tell. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what it really means. They're guessing. They're pulling stuff out of the air. I catch it. I say, really? And all you got to read is 20 different guys. They all disagree with each other. I mean, there's a problem. There's parts of the Bible nobody understands. And at least this guy was reading, he was, he was big enough that he'd say, you know, truth is, we don't know what this means, all right, in one of these situations. So he just says, stay in whatever situation you're at. And then if you're a slave, you're a slave. Unless you can get free. <laughs> For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person, similar to the one who was free when he's called as Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Okay, I'm good with that. I don't want to be a slave. Brothers and sisters, each person that is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were when God called them. What are you saying? Now about virgins, he says. 
I have no command from the Lord. Again, at least you got to. This is the only place in the Bible I'm aware he actually goes out of his way to say this is my opinion. Okay, that, that's why I'm kind of dissing it because I, I don't like his opinion. I don't know what he's talking about. About virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, I'm a good guy. I'm a spiritual guy. You should listen to me. He still, he doesn't really back off. He still has these, he's a, remember, these are rules that are laid out in the church. He's having a problem with a church who doesn't like his rules. Well, now you start putting it together. You go, I can see why they don't like some of his rules. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is, which he means unmarried. He says, remember, I'm writing about virgins now. Just stay that way. Just stay that way. Are you pledged to a woman? Well, don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Then don't look for a wife. Well, what happened to the burning thing? That's the main reason anyway, right? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Well, thank you. <laughs> and if a virgin, a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. This guy is not warm and fuzzy. And then this is the verse I quote in every seminar I, I do all over the world. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. <laughs> and I want to spare you this. What he's saying is, look, this wonderful thing you think that preachers talk about, this glorious, unbelievable state of matrimony. It's like heaven kissing the earth and you're stuck right in the middle of the smack. <laughs> they don't get that from Paul, I'm telling you. Paul is saying, seriously, you want this headache? You want this problem? I'm trying to spare you. But if you're gonna, okay. Oh, if you can't control yourself, okay. He was not warm and fuzzy with the marriage thing. Really, for the love of him, he couldn't figure out why anybody would want to be married. Except he knew why, which he started from the beginning. It's because, so you can quiet the sexual thing driving you crazy. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is this. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as, not, as if they do not. I don't know what he means. For those who mourn as if they did not, don't know what he's talking about. Those who are happy as if they are not, I still don't know what he's talking about. Those who buy something as if it was their, not theirs to keep. If I buy it, I'm keeping it. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Except to say the time is short. In other words, don't put your, tr I get the overwhelming, it's the detail stuff. If you look at the overall, the overall picture is you want to get married, you need to get married for sex, and then do it and make sure you keep having sex with each other. That's fine. My advice, stay single. It's when you start reading verse by verse that it gives you a headache. All right. Those who use the things of these worlds as if not engrossed for them, for the world in this present form is passing away. That I get. I understand. What he's really trying to say is don't hang on to stuff too tightly. Where's all, you know, we used to have a saying as young Christians, it's all going to burn. Somebody drive up in a really fancy car. Somebody, we were, I forgot where the other day. Somebody drives up in a Lamborghini. Just, I was in Florida. Screaming at this thing. It's just smoking. And everybody goes, ooh. And I said, it's all going to burn. Yeah. Said, we always remind each other, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. This, don't get so, I need this. And you don't need it. So in that context, I guess, just the way he says it sometimes, it's like, ay, ay, ay. He said, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned by the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Okay, it really sounds restrictive up to this point. But now he's trying to clarify. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Sounds like it, but I'm not trying. 
to be a jerk, but that you may live in a way uh, that is undivided devotion to the Lord. I get it. If you're not married, you can spend all your time focusing on Jesus. You can pray as much you want. You can read the Bible. You can go anywhere you want. You don't have to answer to anybody. People who get married and say, you can't tell me what to do, they're idiots. Yes, they can. Yes, you can't just come and go. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Some of these guys, you know, they're 35 and they still act like they're 12. Tell their wife, you, you can't, can't tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, yes, you can. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So I get it. When you're single, you can do anything you want. That is the good news of being single. The bad news is you're single. <laughs> you got to kind of balance it out. If I come to any of you single people and say, hey, man, if I pay for you to go to Honduras tomorrow, will you go there and work on this missions trip? Most of you could go, sure. I think one of the greatest assets, in the, I really believe that one of the greatest assets, not assets, one of the greatest assets in the church are single people. I don't think the church has enough, of, takes advantage of this. In fact, if you're in an area of your life where you hear about a missions trip and you think, man, I would love to go, but I can't because I got all these responsibilities, but you have the money. You could, it's not a money thing. It's not, if you're in a situation like that, go find some single person and say, if I pay you, will you go? Because the Bible says their work will be credited to you. You'll share in that benefit. You know, because a lot of you, you can't just take off. They can. Assuming it depends on their job, you know. They don't have to go check with anybody and there's no in-laws and there's no outlaws and there's no kids or anything. They can do whatever they want to do. They're free. I think we should take advantage of this freedom. And a lot of them would be thrilled to go do it. You know, so that stuff all makes sense, all right? So we're going to end here. Next week, we get into the next part that is really, really odd. And, and everybody, everybody admits they don't know what he's talking about. This one is an easy one because nobody knows what he's talking about. It's really weird. And, uh, and then we finally finish that up and then we go on to other stuff and then find other stuff that gives us headaches. About <laughs> Just, okay, okay. So, wow. Anyway, now, you know, it's a great book. It's, it's, the church has listened to this stuff for thousands of years. We need to listen. We need to pay attention to it. You can't, because I tell you what, there's a lot of people today who dismiss, and I got to shut up here. There's a lot of people who dismiss Paul's teachings on morality. And they do that by pointing to these other things. You know, you can't just commit adultery. You can't, you know, the whole thing about homosexual and everything. Well, the Bible says, yeah, but Paul says, you know, women can't talk in the church. We don't listen to that. Why do we listen? Paul says men shouldn't have long hair. Women shouldn't cut their hair. You know, well, they cut their hair all the time. You don't listen to that way. So, but they're trying to make arguments in ways that you can't do that. You can't write off the whole Bible because there's some things that are difficult to understand or maybe even have a cultural context, which some of them do. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying, and again, at least in this context, he's saying, this is my opinion. The way he writes about it is very confusing. Every pastor I know I've ever talked about says it's very confusing the way he talks about it. I wish they would have made it a lot clearer. It would be a lot easier for us to make the calls in people's lives about these things. I'm telling you the calls the way I look at it, the way this church views it. You know, as the leader of this church, this is the way I interpret this kind of situation. Not everybody has agrees with that. That's all you can do. At some point, 
You just got to just move forward in fear and trembling, trusting God, trying to use as much wisdom as you can and listen to the teaching of the scriptures. When it comes to this whole thing about divorce and remarriage, it is muddy. It is just muddy. What we need to do is love people and, and encourage them in the grace of God. And I can, I can talk more about it, but I'm out of time. But anyway, so that's, that's the basic part of that. We're almost through chapter seven and then we'll pick it up, all right? Some of you will endure some of these thoughts at a much le less level on Sunday morning. We'll see you then. Okay, bye-bye.